Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time that we get to dive into your word. God, that we get to hear from you. God, that we get to be drawn closer to you because of your word. God, I just ask that you would help us all to hear your voice through this word. And Lord, draw us closer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So Daniel 7 is where we are today. Daniel 7. And I get the honor of getting to talk about Daniel 7 which is the beginning of the, of the, of the book that, you know, not pe- people aren't as familiar with as the first six chapters. The first six chapters are super cool, and it's got a lot of familiar stories. You got uh, your Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, all, like, being thrown into a fire. You've got, uh, oh, you've got the, the mysterious hand that writes on the wall. You've got Daniel himself being thrown into the lion's den. And I was really, really hoping that it was going to time out that I get to talk about something that's super familiar because then we can all just be together and, and just uh, like, oh, I know this one and I know the things and, and that'd be great. But it did not work out that way. And I end up, I end up getting to talk about the very first uh, the chapter that has to do with like uh, visions and prophecy and 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 even Scott said, "Listen, if you want to talk about something else, feel free to talk about something else." And no, 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 no. This is I'm not gonna I'm not going to break away from the way we do things just because I might get a little uh, anxious or nervous about something that maybe I don't completely understand. As a matter of fact, all it's going to do is allow me to dive in just a little bit deeper, uh, to just to kind of force myself to understand it. And so that's what I've been doing for uh, the past week or so. And so I'm hoping that I can talk to you guys in a way that'll help all of us to understand it. And quite frankly, this, uh, this chapter is, to me, it seems a little bit unique in where we talk in the first half of the chapter about all these things that uh, Daniel sees. Uh, and then in the second half, it's like explained. So maybe I don't have, my job's pretty easy, to be honest with you, uh, in the explanation of this chapter. So a couple of things that we need to know about Daniel 7, or about the book of Daniel, is that uh, while the first half, the first six chapters, are primarily about the stories that we are all familiar with, they're kind of an autobiography of Daniel's life, Uh, and then the second second half, the, the, the seven through the end, is more about the prophecy and more about the vision. However, this is not written in a chronological order. So it's not like here's Daniel's life and then here's what happened afterwards, right? It's not written like that. So Daniel chapter 7 actually kind of falls between, if you're looking at a timeline, uh, it falls between uh, Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. The reason we can say this is because in the very first verse, it says in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, well, we know because uh, in chapter 5, I believe it was, Belshazzar dies. So there's no, there's no way that we can uh, have him back. So we know that it's now we're placed in this time. And most historians say it's between uh, 4 and 5. Um, chapter 4, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled and then, uh, and then he was kind of raised up and, and uh, 
I don't know, we're, I think most people might say he was saved at that point in time after being humbled. He was a believer at that time. So, and then chapter five, uh, Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall. So uh, this chapter kind of falls between those two things. And with that being said, uh, I will also preface this at going, the way we're going to do this today is I'm going to read kind of big chunks so that we can kind of get a bigger picture of what Daniel saw. And then we'll go back and kind of break it down and, and give you a little bit of an explanation. So uh, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Okay, so here's what's important. Daniel did not record every single detail of his dream, just the main facts. And that may come into play a little bit later. Verse 2, Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn a little one coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. That's where we're going to pause for, for a minute. So the, the rise of these four beasts and, and just the, the description of these four beasts, as I, as I kind of read through these things, it's, it's reminiscent of another dream, uh, another vision that someone else had earlier in this, in this book. And it might not be obvious right away. But, and, and I'll be honest, I don't have uh, the technological skills that Scott has acquired to be putting pictures up on our wall. Uh, but if we can all remember, if we've been here for the past few weeks, what is the picture that Scott puts up on the wall? It's that of that statue, the statue with the gold head and the silver body and the bronze uh, legs and the clay feet. And uh, so that's, that's and, and there's four different sections of that. And here we see four different beasts here. So Nebuchadnezzar has one vision. Daniel has this vision. Ultimately, uh, they're both the same kind of vision. Uh, this one is a little bit more terrifying. What can we extrapolate from this? The fact that Nebuchadnezzar had this vision in the first place, which, by the way, Daniel was able to tell and then interpret for him uh, through the Lord. 
is two different things. Nebuchadnezzar, probably number one, because he wasn't a devout believer in the Lord, a, a dev- he didn't devote his life to uh, God at that t- point in time, his vision was much more tame, okay? <laughs> so it's just a statue for him. And, you know, things like a, a gold head, which represents him, who doesn't want to be represented by gold, right? So, so here in um, Daniel's vision, this is also represented by beasts. The statue was representing dominions, uh, empires, Babylon, Medo-Persian, the Greek, and, and most likely the Romans. Uh, this is actually going to be about the same kind of deal, uh, just in a very different uh, vision, a di- very different context. And why would we have two different contexts? It's, this, it's, this, it's like this. Nebuchadnezzar was not necessarily devoted to the Lord, but he needed to see things the way that a man might need to see them. Daniel is a man who is devoted to the Lord, so the Lord can give him visions of the way the Lord sees things. So here we have, in Nebuchadnezzar's vision, a statue of a man. This is the idea of this is how man sees these empires. This is, a, this is how man would look at this, very valuable metals and one stronger than the other. And while the Lord sees the same empires as beasts who are evil and devouring and and just not very pleasant, which is one reason why we'll read that Daniel's fairly troubled about the visions that he sees. So the first thing that he sees uh, is the beast of the lion, the lion with the, ings, with the, with the eagle's wings. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar would see the same, same thing with his head of gold, a very valuable thing. And as a lion who is known as the king of beasts with eagle's wings, an eagle would represent uh, the king of, of the air, the king of flight, the king of birds, uh, very regal, very majestic. But what happens? He watches while the wings are pulled out. And this is representative of how Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. Humbled in the way that he would have to eat like an ox or, or be like an animal. His, his wings were pulled out. He was no longer this uh, regal royalty that uh, he thought that he was, but now he was just a mere animal. Uh, but if you look uh, in, that, in that same verse, uh, verse 4, um, there are several things that happen. Um, first of all, the wings are plucked out, but then right after that, he is lifted up. The, the lion is lifted up without his wings. Now, this kind of uh, would say to us, this is where Nebuchadnezzar was restored. The Lord lifts him up and he's restored. And when he's uh, set on two legs uh, like a man and given to him a heart of a man. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer the arrogant king that he thought that he was, but he's been given the heart of a man, a heart of compassion. So now he's a completely changed being where he was on four legs and and had these uh, wings. Now he is a little bit more human, right, with a heart of compassion. Uh, he was set on two feet, which means he was humbled and then given to a heart of, uh, given to this heart of uh, a man, a heart of compassion. And right after that, he sees this bear. This bear uh, that was raised up out of the sea uh, is also kind of representative of the arms of silver, the chest and arms of silver that Nebuchadnezzar might have seen. Because 
what we see on this, it says the one side of this bear was raised up. Now, when we were talking about the arms of the statue, one, one of the main points was the fact that there were what? two arms. And so now we see this bear who only one side is raised up. So that tells us, hey, there are two sides to this bear and this bear is raised up on one side. And I'm not really, uh, I, I'm not really sure um, if we can picture this. Again, I don't have, a, you know, you're going to have to use your imaginations this. So when I look at this, Keep in mind, these things are terrifying things to see. So when I see this bear, which is incredibly terrifying and incredibly powerful, but then when one side of this bear is like raised up and, and I'm kind of going, how is this bear moving now? And, and I just kind of envisioned this like, I don't know, this, this zombie-esque bear that's just like, right? It's like, I can't, I can't handle that, right? But what does that mean when one side is lifted up and the other one is not? Well, we're talking about the Medo-Persian Empire. This is two different groups that have come together to form one empire. And the fact that one side is lifted up uh, lets us know that the Persian Empire was even greater than the Medo Empire. They were stronger and, and, and just uh, more uh, powerful than the Medo uh, empires, but they joined forces creating this one empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. And as an army, these things conquered like slower. If we go back and take a look at uh, the Babylon Empire, the, the empire of Nebuchadnezzar, the fact that there were eagle's wings in the first place uh, represented swiftness. When we look at wings in the Bible, it, remem- it represents uh, an act of being swift. So when Babylon conquers, it conquers very swiftly. The, the uh, bear empire, the Medo-Persian empire, the, it, it conquers with brute force. And it's not nearly as fast, but it's powerful. And that's why they became even greater than the Babylon Empire, just because of the sheer power that they had. And, uh, and so, so that's something to be uh, kind of uh, afraid of. Now, this bear also had in its mouth three ribs and this represented the three kingdoms that the Medo-Persians devoured that would be the Babylon the Lydia and Egypt and then they were told thus go and devour much flesh which is hey you know what they are given permission to rule they're given permission to devour and it's it's incredibly frightening so this vision that he has uh, the lion with its wings being plucked out is kind of scary in itself but then here comes this bear that's that's grotesque and raised up on one side and it's and it's even more terrifying but then after that uh, another beast comes up and out, and this is a, a, a leopard, but it's not just an ordinary leopard. It's a leopard with four heads and four wings. And this, uh, if we go back again to our statue, uh, this can go back to the bronze, uh, the, the, the thighs and, and the belly of uh, the statue would be uh, like the bronze. And so that the Nebuchadnezzar saw. So uh, like we just already said, the wings are synonymous with speed. And this, this whole beast is representative of uh, Greece. And if we think about Greece, we think about Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great 
was dynamic when it comes to speed. His armies weren't necessarily the largest of the large, but his armies were quick. And he knew how to, how to maneuver his armies to where he had just a fraction of the army fighting this huge army, and they were still able to be, uh, to be victorious because of just their sheer speed. Uh, so that's what this four wings is. Uh, so Alexander the Great, his leadership, uh, his, with his leadership, they quickly conquered at that time the known world. But Alexander ended up uh, dying at the age of 33. And his empire, after his death, was divided up into four parts, hence the four heads. These parts were uh, Macedonia, Egypt, Syria, and, and Thrace. So, uh, so four different line, uh, leopard heads, four different uh, rulers, all represented by this one empire, the Grecian Empire. And then the fourth beast. The fourth beast doesn't necessarily have a description uh, other than its iron teeth and its ten horns. And uh, in my, in my study and, and listening to other people, most people say, well, this is uh, most like the, Rome, the Roman Empire here. Um, but we've not really seen the complete, the complete uh, picture of this fourth area. And when Scott talked about that, even when he was talking about the feet of the statue. Uh, so there's a couple of uh, similarities here with this beast. This beast had 10 horns. The feet of the statue had ten toes, right? And so he says, okay, well, at some point in time, there would be ten countries that would come together and, and kind of form this, this thing, and, and uh, that's what we were kind of looking for. And if you look through uh, even recent history, we could see that picture starting to kind of take shape, and, and uh, it's something to kind of look out for. So uh, here's the thing. When, it, when we talk about the ten horns here, uh, just like wings represent speed, horns represent power. So we, we could talk about these uh, horns as being the different countries that have power here. Uh, and, then, um, and then there's this little horn that kind of pops up a little bit. And this little horn uh, is represented, uh, well, just to be told, it signifies the Antichrist. Uh, the Antichrist who may, uh, he comes up on the scene and he may not look very powerful at first, at least not as powerful as the other ones, but let's keep in mind that before this little horn appears, there are three of these horns that are plucked up out of the roots. So something's going on, right? Uh, so what, that, what does that mean? What that means is out of the 10 countries who are, have this power, once this Antichrist shows up, there might be about three of those entities that uh, will not... Uh, agree with this little horn, will not uh, go along with this little horn, and because of that, they are just demolished, gone, right? So this, while this little horn um, at first doesn't appear very dreadful, uh, when we get to the end of this chapter, it will, say, it will show us that he's, he's more mighty than the other horns, uh, but that's the, way that, uh, that's the way Satan is 
right? He's deceptive. He's, he's, a, he's a guy that when he shows up on the scene, he's not going to be uh, the guy that is, uh, most people say he's not going to have the, the, the horns and the pitchfork and the tail or anything, but he's going to be deceptive and, and he's going to draw people to him. He's going to make sure that people and like who he is and what he has to say. Uh, when we look at this little horn, this little horn has the eyes of a human. And when we talk about the eyes of a human, in the Bible, we're talking about something that is very observant, something that who can gain intelligence simply by, by watching and looking. And so, so this little horn has these things, and this little horn has this mouth. So not only is uh, this little horn or the Antichrist in, incredibly intelligent because he can look at things, but he has this ability to speak eloquently and to speak the things that tickle our ears and to speak those things that make us draw closer to him. And so that's why we have to be very careful when we come across those people. That guy is nice, but uh, he could be very, very deceiving. And this little horn, uh, this little horn is speaking pompous words. This is uh, the very last, uh, last thing that we said. This mouth is speaking pompous words. Now, I don't know if you guys uh, know this. There's a, there's a character that my kids watch uh, or used to watch. I don't know how prevalent he is now. Uh, this character is called the Annoying Orange. Uh, so, so some people know, some people have, and now this orange, if you don't know what the annoying orange is, it's simply a fruit, an orange that has human eyes and a human mouth and is annoying as all will get out, but the kids are entertained by it, you know, it's like, <laughs> look at this, but every time, I don't get it, I don't get it, but I'll tell you this, it's a creepy thing to look at, it's, it's just weird and just like, why are we, why are we watching? And so when I see this, uh, this, this description of this little horn, the, the, the annoying orange kind of gets into my head a little bit. I'm like, this horn looks, just looks creepy, man. Looks creepy. And then he's saying, where the annoying orange is saying annoying things uh, just to be annoying, this horn is saying pompous things. Now, what does that mean? This, this thing is so incredibly arrogant that we will see he even speaks against pompous words against the Lord Most High. He's incredibly arrogant. And, and whenever I think about uh, things who speak against the Lord in arrogance, uh, people who may have spoken even in the Bible, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of, of Goliath. If we're, if we're talking about the story of David and Goliath, uh, Goliath was not little, but he, was, he had this ability to speak really pompous things uh, and speak against the Lord. And, and this gave David uh, a rise, right? And he's all like, why are you letting him speak against our Lord? I'm going to go and, and slaughter this guy. And he does so with like a rock, right? So uh, I, I started to wonder about like even Bible characters. Anybody who says anything against the Lord uh, should probably just watch out right? It's just like, it's never a good idea to speak against the Lord because, uh, because you will be destroyed. And we're going to see that here in this chapter. Um, so here we see all these creatures, incredibly terrifying. Now, I can stand here and tell you that these things are terrifying and we could even put up pictures on the wall and I can encourage you to use your imagination, but I, I also have to remind you that uh, just the main facts are written down, uh, not all the details. And so if we were to have this vision of these beasts, chances are 
we're going to be a little bit scared, right? Because it's one thing for me to sit, sit here and go like, oh, there's a lion and a bear and a cheetah with four heads. Uh, and and we, can all, we can kind of breeze by that a little bit. But if we took the time to actually try to think, what if we were trapped in a cage with a bear, right? Uh, chances are we're not going to be sitting in our seats, <laughs> right? right? Uh, yeah, and, and if we are, we're making a mess of the seat. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that. So, we, so, so when we read these things, let's maybe try not to think about them too lightly because we know that Daniel did not. He didn't take it. It was a, it was a dreadful scene. With that being said, we also know ultimately in the face of sheer terror, who is victorious? And with that, we read on. Verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which, which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed." The Ancient of Days is a picture, it's a picture, uh, one who we refer to as God the Father, God the Father. And here he is described almost in a way that we might just naturally describe God the Father. We, we have a tendency to kind of go, uh, well, when I picture God, uh, he is an older gentleman with, uh, with white hair and a big white beard and his and his robes are white and and uh this is this is this is the god that i pictured and he's he's described very much uh like what i might picture if uh, i were to picture god the father uh, his garment was pure white which uh just signifies the pure nature of god his hair like wool represents the wisdom of god and the fiery flame represents his judgment Wheels, when we talk about the wheels, we're not talking about the wheels of a rascal scooter or the wheels of a, of a wheelchair. We're talking about the wheels like that of a chariot. Wheels like that of a chariot in which he rides to battle to exercise his sovereignty. This is our God, the Father. This is our God who is uh, pure, who is... Uh, abounding in wisdom who casts judgment and who is ready to take battle. He's ready for the fight. 
and, when, and then there are thousands of thousands who are before him. Uh, someone once uh, shared with me just recently, um, and this is concerning the thousands of thousands, because we could t- kind of take a look and go, oh, there's going to be a lot of angels up in heaven. There's going to be a lot of those who have went on before him. But someone once told me that when we think about the context of God, who is outside of time and space, uh, this is a God who is kind of dwelling right now within the time frame of Daniel, of a David, right? But he's also dwelling with us right now. Why? Because he's outside of time. And he's also dwelling with those who are uh, beyond us, right? All those people who are worshiping God. If we worship God all at the same time, think about this. Think about this. If you worship God right now, because God is outside of time, you are worshiping alongside of the likes of a Daniel, of the likes of a David, of the likes of a Moses. You are worshiping God. You are worshiping at the same time in God's purview with the people who are in the Bible right now. Take that into uh, even American history. People like uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, a devout Christian. You can... You can you can imagine that you are worshiping right alongside him. And then those great people who are, who are beyond us, who we don't know, we're all worshiping the Lord at the same time. There's thousands and thousands of us. And Daniel gets to see this vision of thousands and thousands and, and, uh, of people who are just seated before his throne. What an amazing, what an amazing uh, vision that this would be. If we could just internalize uh, j- just this vision and the ability that we have to worship with some of the best worshipers. Some of the, so it's like I can't stand up to a, a Daniel or a David when it comes to a heart of God, but here, here I am. And worshiping with Daniel, with David, right now, all because God's outside of this time, that's, it's, a, it's an incredible thought to have. And here Daniel gets to see it, thousands of thousands, an innumerable amount. So he watched. Verse 11, he watched because of the sound of the pompous words, which the horn was speaking. And I watched until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Not only was the horn itself slain, not only was the horn, that little uh, antichrist was slain, but everybody who followed that horn, the beast itself was slain, which uh, when we talk about what these beasts have represented, we're talking about the entire empires was slain. So we're not talking about just the horn, we're talking about the entire beast. Everybody who follows the antichrist is slain. And the other beasts were not slain, they, but their lives were prolonged for, uh, for a season and a time. And then, then comes Jesus. 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which is not destroyed. He is given dominion 
and everlasting dominion. Every other empire that was before this one will pass away. The one of the huge beast with the iron teeth and the horns immediately. But the other ones that we talked about, the, the lion, the bear, and the cheetah, those were prolonged. Their, their, their lives were just prolonged, but eventually they die. They go away. But this dominion, this dominion which is given to the Son of Man is one that goes on forever and ever. Because it's an everlasting dominion. Verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit, weighing in my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Now, I, I actually given this a little bit of thought because uh, I didn't understand. When we see the victorious nature of God, and when we see that dominion, an everlasting dominion is given to the Son of Man and his people, why is Daniel troubled? And uh, so I was listening to a couple of, uh, of, of pastors on this, and Damien Kyle uh, he thinks it's because that Daniel understands that he was in the Babylonian Empire, the, that very first one, the, the lion, the head of gold. And he uh, had spent his life hoping and wishing and praying that the Lord would come and take care of this situation so he's not in captivity or his people aren't in captivity. And there's a, a realization that this is the first one and that there are three more that come before anything is really done. So, so there might be a cause for some grief there. Um, and, and, and honestly, that's, that's pretty much all, all I had to go, uh, all I, you know, Damien Kyle's a much wiser man than I, so I'm not going to extrapolate anything more than that. Uh, so we'll move on to, to uh, verse 16. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all of this. So he told me, and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Now, don't you find it great that when we don't understand that we're in good company? Because here Daniel is looking at these things, seeing these things, his heart is grieved, and he needs an explanation. He, this guy who already told King Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was, and then the interpretation of it, needs somebody to help him understand what's going on here which tells me that any time that we come into the Bible and we don't understand, it's not time for us to put away the Bible because we don't understand, but to find one who does. And in this case, he, uh, this one that he goes to, uh, a lot of uh, historians or pastors uh, would say that it's, this would be like an angel, liken that to a, a Gabriel or uh, just someone who, who knows. Um, what we have the ability to do when we don't understand is to go to the Lord in prayer and ask for understanding. Uh, that's, that's, that's the first person, that's the first being we go to in prayer. For if we want understanding, he will give us understanding of, of the word here. Uh, so, so I would encourage, even when you read things that sound crazy, like four beasts coming up, and you need to help understanding what this actually means or what it means to you, then go to the Lord, seek him out. So he was grieved in his spirit. He went and, and, he, and this, guy, this uh, 
he told me everything made known to me in, and the interpretation of these things. Scott also says uh, scripture has a tendency to interpret scripture. Yes. And so I'm blessed right now because while I've just spent the last uh, 30 minutes talking about the first uh, part of Daniel here, uh, it's going to be said right here in scripture. So quite honestly, you guys didn't need me for the first 30 minutes. You could have just kept on reading. (laughs) 17, those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So not only did he give a description of what he saw, but he did it in a lot less words than I did. So uh, it's always a good idea to read the, read the scripture because uh, it's a lot less wordy than I am. Verse 19, then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet, and the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. So this last part here, first of all, I'd like, to, I'd like just to make mention that this horn with the eyes and the mouth has, now has an appearance that is greater of the other horns. When it started small, it is now greater than the other horns. What are we referring to when we talk about this last part here? It refers to uh, this last part where it says, uh, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Uh, at this point in time, we are, we are starting to talk about uh, end times things. We're starting to talk about uh, great tribulation. And these that he's talking about refers to those who become saved after the rapture. And when that time comes, uh, after the rapture, there will be many who will come and say, oh, all those Bible thumpers were right and I need to figure out how to, how to make a change. And so there will be people who come to the Lord after the rapture. And those are the people who, uh, who will they'll deny uh, the mark of the beast and they'll become believers. And ultimately, those people will become martyrs. This, this is what I say that the... Uh, the Antichrist is prevailing against them until Christ's return. Verse 23, thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings." He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. What is a time? A time is one. Times is two. 
and half a time is half a time. So what we're talking about here is uh, an equivalent of three and a half, three and a half uh, years. And we talked about, uh, just made mention of the Great Tribulation. Uh, so the Antichrist will deceive people into believing that he is uh, peaceful and uh, all-around nice guy, right, for the first, first half of the tribulation, uh, the seven-year tribulation. But the last half, the time and the times and half a time, this is when his arrogance is fully shown. And he will try to dismantle anything and everything that has to do with Christ, the church, uh, holidays, and, and even the believers. So here we are already seeing some of this kind of taking place even just within our culture. We see it at Christmas time every year, uh, you know, uh, Oh, those, they're, they're, these traditions come from pagan traditions. Or at Easter, uh, it's like Easter isn't really about uh, Christ because it's a, it's a pagan uh, backgrounds with uh, Ishtar. And uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing, oh, we can't have, um, we can't have praying in, in school. We can't have Ten Commandments uh, up, in, up in courthouses or, or whatever. Everything... Uh, that our culture is doing or trying to get done to dismantle anything that has to do with God or Christ, this guy will do. This guy is going to just try to dismantle anything and everything. That's why uh, there should be, uh, in, the last, in the last half, the last three and a half years, uh, he destroys uh, the church and holidays and believers. But through all of this, 26, but the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatest of kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So what do we see? The Antichrist will be defeated and the greatest of kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the saints of the Most High and everyone shall serve and obey him joyfully. Daniel's countenance changed some some say that maybe it's he's grown pale because of this vision uh, and I think that it has to be difficult if I'm to try to put myself in the position of a Daniel to have this uh, a vision like this because there's so many unknowns to Daniel for Daniel there is no book of revelation for Daniel there is no uh, Mark Luke John or Matthew Right? There are no Gospels. He, he doesn't have these things to, to, to look back on. Those things are all in front. This is something that we have. Right? So his countenance has changed because there's just so many different unknowns. It doesn't mean that he doesn't believe that God will do what he says that he will do because he has all faith that God will do so. But there's a countenance change. And, there's, and he knows that uh, things are just going to get worse before they get better right? But they will get better. And what we have that Daniel doesn't is the fact that we can look to the book of Revelations, that we can look to the end and see that, that God is ultimately victorious because of what Christ has done for us. 
We have the ability to focus on the victory because Christ has already won it. So when we read this, let's remember that he didn't have those things, but it's something that we do. We have the ability to, to see the victory, and we praise God for it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, this prophecy, God, that is not even completely fulfilled, but God, that the fact that we have your complete word, that we can focus on the victory that you have already won. God, I thank you for the fact that, that we get to worship with the likes of a Daniel. God, that we get to worship with, uh, with the saints. God, that you will be lifted up for all eternity, just like it says right here in Daniel chapter 7. Lord, help us not to forget these things. Keep them in our hearts. And Lord, speak to us continually. And go with us, please, as we go out these doors today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys, and have an awesome, awesome week.